Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 285. Sally Ann Monty is an award-winning author, editor, and storyteller. Her nonfiction book, Light at the End of the Tunnel, a memoir, won the 2019 Imagine Award for Best Nonfiction Book at the Imaginarium Convention, and that's where we met Sally Ann for the first time. And she is currently the Director of Marketing for the Golden Crown Literary Society, uh, a short story author, and a memoirist and a you know a great storyteller in her own right uh sally ann also has had a lot of different paranormal experiences in her life and we want to talk about how those paranormal experiences um whether it be coincidences or apparitions or things like that have affected her storytelling and uh the way she communicates so joining us from lovely palm springs california sally ann monty sally ann how are you feeling this fine day? I'm feeling great, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. I was so happy to meet you and Wendy at the Imaginarium Conference in 2019. Yeah, and just to give people some background, we know you're a storyteller, we know you're an author, but how did you get there? Like, um, you know, where did, where did you come from? What's your start? Where were you born? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and I moved to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, when I was two years old, or I was told that's what happened. Okay. And um, and Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, became very famous in the in the late seventies when John Travolta walked through it, eating pizza, carrying paint cans, and revolutionizing disco. Uh, it was filmed in my neighborhood. In fact, I used to go to the disco with the uh, dance floor that lit up, and. Uh, and it was a very, uh, uh, it's, it was a, it's a pocket of Brooklyn that hasn't really changed much. Uh, I love that dance floor. Everything, and it's just kind of carried forth. So that's kind of where I started. You know, I love that uh, dance floor from um, Saturday Night Fever. That's one of my favorite. It always makes me think about it. I used to watch a show called Dance Fever with Danny Terrio oh, sure. when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so ridiculous, but, um, no, that's a, that's a great, uh, introduction as to where you're from. Cause a lot of us have seen Saturday Night Fever and we think about that neighborhood and are familiar with it. So that's, that's a perfect kind of introduction to where you're from. And when was the first time you, you had some kind of experience where you thought, Hey, maybe this isn't grounded in the same kind of reality that I was expecting to happen. Well, you know, it's interesting because from a very young child, I had and got gut feelings, very strong gut feelings, but I never, I didn't always recognize them, but I can go back into probably as far back as five years old. Um, I just felt like I was going to live in California one day. I mean, growing up in Brooklyn, especially in Bensonhurst, it's a very, uh, it was a Catholic uh or Jewish neighborhood, it was Italian people, Jewish people, and that was it. And you lived, you grew up, you were born there, you, grew, you lived right there where you were born within a few blocks, you spent your whole life there, and that's where you exited the earth for this part of the journey. But um, I always felt like I, 
I was going to, I wanted to live in California. I knew nothing about California when I was in uh, kindergarten. I drew a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, brought it home to my parents and said, I'm going to live in California. And they looked at me like I was crazy because <laughs> here I am, this little Italian Catholic girl who's supposed to, you know, get married and move upstairs from my parents and make babies. So they were like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's my earliest recollection of uh, spirituality and gut feelings. And uh, it did come to fruition. It ties into my memoir. Um, and I've had my entire life has been driven by gut feelings and defining moments. So you say gut feelings and defining moments, that kind of intuition that we talk about. So you've always had some kind of attraction to California, attraction to the West. When it ties into your, you know, you light at the end of the tunnel when you talk about your memoir, did you start to feel like coincidences or synchronicities or things like that that kind of tied into your move that made you, that gave you that feeling? I did. I, um, you know, uh, growing up, I always knew when I was going to meet somebody that was going to change my life because I would, it would almost feel like I got gut punched and it would happen randomly just for no reason at all. And uh, I didn't know what it was when I was younger, but I, I, when I was in my 20s, I really started to pay attention to it and manifest that. And um, I was in my early 30s, and it was uh, 1995, and I, was, uh, I had four little kids. They were all in school. I had uh, a, a job. I was also volunteering as a teacher in a preschool, all kinds of stuff. So I had a very full life. And I, put, I was coming home uh, from work one day, and I got to the corner of my street, I stopped at a stop sign, and I had that gut punch. It was more than an intuition. It was that punch. And, uh, and what went through my mind was involuntary. And, I, and, and, and my mind said to me, um, I, it just ran my life in front of me involuntarily from a small child up to the point where I was all these defining moments, you know, growing up, going to school, getting a boyfriend, getting married, all of these things, having a job, all these things just flowed through me up to the point where I, I audibly said on this corner, uh, I better appreciate this life that I have because something huge is going to happen. I just knew it. I didn't know what it was. Uh, and that was in May of 1995. And sometimes these feelings come to fruition right away. And sometimes they take years before something real happens and I can tie it to that. But this one uh, happened in August of the same year. I met a woman named Mickey Neal on, uh, through a misguided email. And back then, we're talking late 90s, no internet, no, no uh, address books. Everything was DOS-driven. AOL was making a fortune by the minute. That's how right. people connected to each other. There was, uh, there was no web, none of it. So I had sent an email to a friend of mine who lived a couple of states over, and I left the number one off, and it went to this uh, woman named Mickey who lived in California, and our lives exploded from that point forward. We became, we just knew we were destined to meet each other. We became instant friends, and it, it just exploded to the point where, now this is August of 95, by September of 1996, I had sold my house in Staten Island, New York, and me, my husband, my ex-mother-in-law, the four kids, we all moved to California with our various pets. 
so what was your, um, I mean, that original email that you sent that, you know, went to Nikki and you became friends, um, when you say it was like a misdirected email, what were you emailing about? I was emailing a friend of mine. We were just conversing about music and his email was sticks at netcom.com. And Mickey's email was sticks one. And because she didn't have an address book, you had to always type the email. So sometimes sure. you just messed up the email. And that's what happened. It went to this uh, to Mickey. And she wrote me back and said, well, you must be sending this to Thomas because I don't know who you are, but I keep getting this email. Everybody's leaving off the number one. And that's how it started. Okay. So this sticks, S-T-Y-X, like the river sticks or like the band sticks. Yeah. S-T-Y-X-S. Okay. Were you guys big fans of the band Sticks? That's why they had those names? <laughs> or was it just more no, like a River Sticks kind no. of thing? Uh, no, it was my friend Thomas was a drummer, so that's why he was Sticks. I see, I was, see. Was tall and thin, and her mom used to call her Mick the Stick, and that's why she picked Sticks as her email, and I think Stick, S-T-I-C-K, wasn't available, so... Right. They, okay, so it wasn't just like they were just like, okay, we love Mr. Roboto so much. We're going to no, get an email address. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it would have been Oingo Boingo if it was that. <laughs> okay. Hey, all right. Danny Elfman, he's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're getting there. And now, how did you convince the whole family? Like you said, you're like, okay, you, your ex-husband, your mother-in-law, and four children. And how old are the kids and in the mid- And a dog and a turtle. <laughs> right. And a dog. Uh, how old are the kids in the mid-1990s? Our baby, our baby was, we had, our baby was six. Uh, our son was six, our youngest daughter was seven and a half, and then our other two daughters were 10 and 11. And what was the deciding fact? Were you like, you know what? I kind of just want to move. Um, I mean, what was your, I mean, what was your husband well, like, hey, well, I got to find a job and stuff like that, or was he ready to go? Well, interestingly enough, he had a city job. He worked for the New York City Transit Authority, and Rudy Giuliani was the mayor at the time, Giuliani, and um <clears throat> He had revamped New York City financially. He cleaned up Times Square at that point. He um, reallocated funding. And he laid off a ton of city workers. He condensed services. And my ex-husband worked for New York City Transit, and he'd been there for 15 years and done the nights and the weekends in the, in the not-so-safe neighborhoods. And uh, that's where they were going to send him back. They said, we're not letting you go. You have seniority, but you're going to have to go to the South Bronx, which was a tough neighborhood, and be a token booth clerk, even though that wasn't his job. He was a warehouse manager. And they said, that's what we can offer you. And in all seriousness, they were putting token booth clerks on fire in those days. Through, right. Oh, they man. throw bombs into the little... A little slot. And so it was a really dangerous job. And we had wanted to move for many years. He had also uh, had an interest in moving to California. We talked about it even before we had children. We had a, we had a puzzle on our dining room table. Uh, it was a 5,000-piece puzzle that we had made of the San Francisco skyline. We had no idea why we did it at the time, but it made sense when we started to become uh, after that, we, we had a desire to move to California. And Mickey became the catalyst for that because uh, we didn't want to leave his job and his job wasn't viable anymore because that position was a position he couldn't live with and our family didn't sure. want to have that risk. So uh, it just felt like everything happened for a reason and that's how we wound up moving to California. 
I remember New York City, like you said, the Times Square and stuff like that. I so New York City in, in the early 1990s. I'd always read about this guitar store called Manny's Music in like guitar right. magazines, and I'm like, oh. And so one, we spent one summer in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, my family. And my mother's like, oh, we'll go into the city and we'll go to see a Broadway show and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I want to go see Manny's Music and I want to see all these, you know, different locations of rock clubs and things like that that were exciting to me as a 16-year-old or whatever. And uh, we go out there and I'm like, you know, I was almost, my mother was almost embarrassed. She's like, half these places are porno theaters or, <laughs> you know, all the, and Manny's Music ended up being tiny. It was still historic and cool, but um you know, Times Square at the time was also very different, I would say, than when you go now, and it's a lot more family-friendly, and it's just a lot different. That idea, I, I remember just walking through me, like, even as a 16-year-old, being like, oh, man, even <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed for these places to go with my mother. Yeah, you're much younger than I am. I'm 58. Um, in fact, I'll be 59 next week. But oh. Times Square was Triple was, uh, X theaters and pornography and peep shows and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, and, and Giuliani really eliminated all of that and, and made it what it is today. So, um, but it had a ripple effect. Right. And the ripple effect was your husband's job. Yeah. It was the one thing that tied us to New York because uh, we had tried to move to other states and it just didn't feel right. But that job was the one thing because my job was more fluid and I could get job. You know, I was more of a stay at home parent at that time. I had curtailed my career and I was doing the, you know, shuffling the kids all over in a part-time work position. And he had the full-time responsibility. So that was the one thing that was keeping us in New York. And when that came off the table and, uh, and meeting Mickey, it all opened up like a vessel. I mean, like it, it was an amazing time. The energy around us was insane. Um, and, and, and we were able to, sell our home and move cross country with, uh, you know, with all the kids and all of that. So it really was a, an adventure. And so you'd always felt drawn, you felt compelled and, uh, you met somebody who you clicked with right away. And, um, that gave you a reason to go out there and, and a reason to leave. Yes. Were you finding that you were having any other kind of, uh, you know, things at the time that seemed to be weird or out of the ordinary or co little coincidences or little synchronicities that kind of stuck out where uh, you're like, this is the absolute right decision for us. Was it, was it were there little well, things that led you to have certainty in that change? It was kind of a big thing that happened that led to certainty because naturally when we told our families that we were doing this, uh, it, you know, people thought we were crazy. We, we, you know, we were very much New Yorkers living in a very uh, narrow-minded society in, in the inner boroughs of uh, New York City. At that time, we were living in, in Staten Island. And the, the culture back then was still you pretty much grow up and stay where you are born, within a radius. People just don't leave. In fact, when they go on trips and they travel, they don't often travel very far. I mean, that was what I was raised in. That was the neighborhood we were living in. That's what our kids were raised in. But when I was uh, six months pregnant of my, our first child, our daughter, my mom passed away in seven weeks from uh, cancer, from seven weeks from diagnosis. And she was 44 years old. And it was devastating to our family. Of course. But, 
and and after our daughter was born, when she was about three weeks old, um, I I was uh, having a rare moment of sleep because you know you have a baby, they don't sleep that well when they're newborns, but I happened to get a couple of hours of sleep, and I I I felt like somebody shook me, like pushed me on the shoulder. Somebody would say, "Wake up." And I opened my eyes and I look and standing in front of me was my mother. And she's wearing this nightgown that she always used to wear, uh, this white flowy nightgown. And I looked at her and she smiled at me and she kind of hugged herself. And she, when I, she pointed to the baby's room. And I remember, because I was still uh, obviously with my husband at the time, I, I woke him up and I'm like, wake up, wake up. Cause uh, him and my mom shared the same birthday. They were very, very close. Uh, but by the time he woke up, she was gone. So I had had that happen with, where my mom had visited me and it happened again in our house in Staten Island. And the first incident was in Brooklyn. We were living upstairs from my parents at the time and we moved to Staten Island, had our own home and, um, and it happened again. I was, sleeping and it was in the midst of all of this should we should we not move to California type thing I woke up just out of a dead sleep and there was my mom again just standing there and looking at me and she nodded her head and she was gone gone so uh, both me and my ex-husband took that as a sign because her influence on us was uh, was very strong even though she wasn't around the on our, you know, in our consciousness anymore. So, um, so that happened. And in fact, she's reappeared in, uh, in Sedona. We have a second home in Sedona. I mean, we could talk about that now, or we could talk about that later. No, I mean, um, I was, I would say, let's real quick, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, your mother and how she seems mm -hmm. to be some kind of uh, paranormal influence, or at least she appears to you in times where you're looking for, uh, does it seem to be like a, a crisis or you're looking for direction? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, shortly after a newborn child, um, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, it's always like a crisis. Um, <laughs> you know, but also when you're having... The first one, you know, not, yes. you don't know what you're doing. You got to figure it all out. <laughs> but when you're having a, you know, a crisis of your faith and like, I'm going to leave what I know, I'm going to leave the place I've lived in yeah. all my life. Um, and then she appears again to either give you direction or to give you comfort. So you have a couple of things right there. And now the next time she appeared was something happening in your life, in your home in Sedona. And we'll get back to how you got that stuff. But is it that same kind of vein that you were going through something and then she appeared when you needed her? Not so much in Sedona, but the next time I saw her was not Sedona. It okay. was during, um, uh, I'm trying to think if we were in California. So she came to me before we moved to California. And then, well, after we moved to California, you know, Mickey and I, our relationship exploded and we were, uh, and, and the, my, my memoir, Light at the End of the Tunnel, is about this, this love story between Mickey and I. We were both married for, uh, for 20 years to our husbands and we fell in love. Uh, but when we were in California and all of this was starting to unravel in, our, in my house in California, the same thing happened. My mom came to me, she was standing right by the bed, and she didn't say anything. Um, 
And I wasn't sure what that message was. So a friend of mine uh, knew a psychic and uh, a very legitimate psychic and an intuit. And I had a reading with this person and she didn't know who I was. There was no Facebook in those days. There's no way to kind of, you know, check everybody out. Right. So you know, you can talk about things that are right there. She didn't know anything about me at all. And, um, and the first thing she said to me is, your mom isn't on this planet anymore. And I said, yes, that's right. And she said, well, she's standing right here and she's wearing this white nightgown and this white flowing nightgown. And she's holding the hand of a little girl. And my mom had had a miscarriage before me. I was the f- first uh, live birth my parents have it, two brothers and me. But before me was a miscarriage girl. And um, so I didn't say anything to the psychic. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, but she went on to say, uh, your, your mom said to tell you she understands what you're going through and she's okay with it. She accepts you as you are. So I'm like, yeah, okay. That's kind of a generic statement. You know, anyone could say that. Um, but then she said this, she said, your mom said to tell you that her feet are okay. They don't hurt anymore. And my mother used to get terrible cramps in her feet for her entire life. In fact, she probably had thyroid cancer undiagnosed because mm. she had a tumor in her neck. And that is a symptom of thyroid issues because my wife had thyroid cancer and she was getting these cramps in her feet. So this psychic said to me, your mom said her feet are okay. They don't hurt anymore. And that was a big deal to her. So I, there was no doubt in my mind that this person was communicating to me, you know, on behalf of my mom. And so, and that's when my marriage was dissolving. Mickey and I were figuring out we were in love with each other. And, you know, there's kids involved and husbands and houses and jobs and properties and all of that entanglement that it, um, you know, it all unraveled over time. But in that first communication with my mother about this, I was shocked because one of the biggest things in my mind to keep me in my marriage and 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 have me not walk towards the true person that I am, which is a lesbian, and I've been one my whole life and had no idea until I was 34 years old. But once I knew, I I could trace back to things that were like, oh, that's what that was about. Um, so it was really kind of. Uh, one of the most major defining moments in my life was that experience. And the experiences in Sedona were of a different nature. They were not based on a stressful, anxious situation. But, okay, so the psychic, though, so she really amazed you by talking about the stuff about your mom saying she's okay with what's going on and the, you know, the problems with the feet and everything. Was there anything in particular, like when you, you said you kind of, you know, it's, it's a big deal, to leave somebody you've been married to for a long time and then like with children and everything and you're on the other side of the you know country from where you're all from and stuff like that and like you said you didn't know that uh you were a lesbian before it kind of hit you and then you're like oh okay that makes sense right and so you're going through that and so as that's developing and i know you go over this in light at the end of the tunnel but were you finding 
little things in your life that, so you met this, you know, you met your wife by accident, by just getting the name wrong on an email. And this would eventually, you know, lead you to change your life completely. Were you finding other accidents, like random things that kept on, um, was it almost like you were blundering towards your eventual destiny? It felt like that because um, there were other things that, uh, that became defining in my life that were just hints in my, in my past. And then as things started to unravel, I always had a pull towards Melissa Etheridge, her music. And, you know, not because she was a lesbian, that didn't mean anything to me when I start listening to her music. I was a, supposedly a straight person with a bunch of kids and a husband, but I, I was always drawn to them, to, to her music and to her messages of truth, and I never understood why. Uh, and in, uh, in uh, after I moved to California, uh, Mickey and I uh, wound up going to a Melissa Etheridge concert together, just the two of us. It was a random act. It wasn't planned. We just wound up getting these tickets, and we went. And it turned out to be... Um, a defining moment in the sense that it, in, in, at that event, it became very obvious to us what our relationship was going to be, a, what, what, what was really going on between us. Also around that time, you know, we were, I was seeking guidance, spiritual guidance. I was raised Catholic. I had let go of my Catholicism. It was not a, a helpful um, spirituality for me. It was guilt-ridden. It was, um, it, well, I didn't have a positive experience with that religion at all from a young child. I, I always felt like you'd go to church and be shamed. <laughs> you never want to came home feeling good about it. And I was very involved in the church. I was, a, I was in the teen club. I, was an, I ran events for the church. So I had really immersed myself in, in, in organized religion, but I felt this incredible pull towards spirituality and a friend of mine and I uh, went to see a Buddhist monk and as soon as I stood in front of him and he looked at me he called out Mickey right away and he called her out by name and he said this person is here to give something back to you and this person is meant to be in your life but he could never tell us what it was that she was going to give back because neither one of us got the sense it was something physical, you know, like some kind of object. We had the sense it was some, something deeper, something on a spiritual level. Still haven't figured that out. Well, I mean, so when, not, but when you, know. when did you go see the monk though, that it was, this wasn't before you guys had met or anything that he had called a name, like before you knew each other or anything, right? This was when we were in California, okay, and Mickey and, and Mickey and I were still in our marriages to our husband, and I was, I had a pull towards this Buddhist temple. I just for no reason whatsoever, uh, and I used to drive past it. I had a client right there, and I told my friend, I just feel like we need to go to this Buddhist temple. And she's like, oh, I heard about that temple. There's monks in there, and they do numerology and other readings. So we wound up going there, and. And as soon as I had my reading with this monk, you go and bring bring your birth date and some other, what time you're born and some other things. Uh, and the first thing he said to me is, there's a woman, it starts with an M, and she's here to give something back to you. And I couldn't believe what he said, because I hadn't told him anything about anything. 
Well, I'd never gone to a Buddhist monk that does like fortune telling kind of things. So I, I'm really interested in this because I want to go now. So what? So what kind of? So this is a, a Buddhist temple, and what yeah. kind of reading? What kind of reading was it? He didn't have cards or tea leaves or what was he doing? It's numerology. You have to go with your birth date, the date, the time that you were born, and the city and state that you were born in. Okay. And they use numerology, and they do it by hand. There's no calculators or computers. You know, they were Thai monks, so their language, you couldn't really tell what they were writing because sure. it was in Thai language. So it was, uh, uh, it, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I found that um, after that, a friend of mine and I, we, we continued to go back to this Buddhist temple whenever we were, uh, my friend was going through the dissolution of her marriage. So we were kind of helping each other through it. And, um, and we would go back to this to these monks every so often and um they ran meditation uh it sounds like everybody comes to california to get divorced <laughs> remind so. me remind me not to move there no that just made me laugh when you think it's like oh my friend too and then everybody's but but the thing is if if you go you need a change in your life you know that's always what the you know that's why the red hot chili peppers write a million songs about it right Um, looking and, you know, changing your life or seeing what happens. So, you know, you're going through all that. And and number one, I am super interested in this, in the uh, Buddhist numerology, specifically because um, when you think about, you think about psychics like John Edwards, the people you see on TV, you know, they can use your, uh, their knowledge of English, their knowledge of cold reading. They're not, you know, they can, they can use your acknowledgement, your eyes, your, you know, all that kind of body language to make guesses, you know? Um, somebody who maybe their first language isn't English, like you said, like a Thai monk, right. um, that makes it extra interesting to me because they have to, you know, if they were going to read you like James, the amazing Randy or something, they would have to, use, right. like, they would have to use a completely different body language or a completely different, um, type of read than a native English speaker would. And so I wonder how you would do it just based on body language and all that kind of thing alone. So that's, that's an interesting thing. So that's a, that's a fun thing to learn. If anybody out there has any more experiences with this kind of numerology, tweet at us at othersidetalk, you know, um, twitter.com slash othersidetalk. I want to hear about it. But going on. So, you know, you're going through this. You have a, like all these psychic experiences where the psychics are telling you your mom's okay to change your life. The Buddhist monks telling you, "Hey, this Mickey person's in your life for a you know a particular reason, um, you know, to give something to you to to change your life." And um, anything else happening around? Because I mean, those are some big things right there for people who don't know. You're in the middle of uh, falling in love with someone completely new, and in, in the middle of oh, something you wouldn't have expected before. Were things happening in any of your family or your kids having things that all kind of led them in that direction either? Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm just going to go back just a tiny bit. Sure. (laughs) When I was about 15 years old, I was invited to my neighbor's wedding and it was a last minute thing. I I was a kid. So they're like, hey, we got a bunch of people that can't come the last minute. And these are next door neighbors that are like family. We, we were, we called them aunt and uncle and, you know, so it's very close knit, just not blood relative. And they're like, you want to come to the wedding? And I was like, okay, I'll come to the wedding. Um, and I, and my mother and I, my mom, of course, was still alive then. 
we we went to the church when the while well, they got married and uh, and then but they, what they were inviting me to was a reception afterwards in a sure. big fancy Italian wedding in a catering hall. But when we walked out of the church, I said to my mother, "Something major is going to happen to me today. I don't know what it is, but I got that. I have this feeling. I've had this feeling before. It always something always happens when I have this feeling, and I feel like it's going to happen today." And that is the day I met my ex-husband. Um, it was his cousin marrying my na- best friend, neighbor, and we met at that wedding. He was my first and only boyfriend, and we got married four years later. Um, and all of these, uh, you know, just I've had this experience time and time again where something major is going to happen. Um, two of our children are, uh, we have four kids, three, three girls, and a boy. The boy is going to be 30 this year, and our oldest daughter is going to be 36. So they're adults now. Sure. But my, uh, one of my daughters left her career at Hulu, um, and it was a very good job, to pursue her own business as an intuit and spiritual counselor. She uses tarot as some of her, uh, as her tools. And, and is building a practice around spirituality, intuition, and helping people recognize that each and every one of us has intuition. In some of us, it's closer to the surface, and we want it to be, and we manifest it. And the more that we do that, the more we see, the more we hear, and the more we are aware. I'll talk, I could talk about some orbs in a minute related to that. Sure. But some of us bury it. So uh, our, this one daughter has a practice so she, and, and uh, she has even more intuition than I do. Well, I think it's interesting here, real quick, I mean, just, just you're going into um, that you, you talk about your gut punch and then you had these several experiences in your life and you kind of come back to that, um, that you said, like, well, even when I was 16, I felt like something was going to happen. So much so you said to your mom, and I don't know, when you're 16 years old, you probably don't think specifically that that's the day you're going to meet somebody that you're going to spend most, you know, a good portion of your life with and raise a family right, with kind right. of thing. And then that kind right. of happens. And you, you get that beforehand. Like I, I would say that things in my life happened to me out of left field that I was like, holy crap, how did that happen? And then all of a sudden your life's changed right. to have that kind of like knowing, you know, that's like soldiers get that warning, you know, before they, they know when they're walking into the battlefield or boxers right. before they get into the ring. Um, you seem to have had that, something told you that your life is going to change, you know, before you actually even knew it was going to happen. So that kind of intuition is something interesting that you felt it for yourself. And do you think that with your daughter's work, she's helping other people recognize it? Or maybe if she's sensitive, she can see something that's going to be happening to them. I think she, uh, I, I don't know that she can see something that's going to happen to them, but I think she has the ability to help them tap into their own intuition where they're able to see these things and feel these things. Um, because the intuition is there. It's kind of humming beneath the surface. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're young, your life is so busy at school, it's homework, it's college, it's you get married, maybe you have kids or you have a very busy job, whatever the case is, you're so busy doing things that you miss the signals. 
but the signals are there. And if you pay attention to them, they will guide you. It happened to me in my career. I knew every time I had a career change, it was based on a gut feeling and an intuition that happened before. In one case, the longest was it took four years. Uh, in the shortest case, it took about a week before I had a new job. I just knew it was going to happen. And I'm talking about the jobs that I were in were very deep-rooted jobs where I was in it. I was committed to the company. I was an integral part of the company. And no way I'm going to leave this company. But yes, I did because something came up. So um, I've always paid attention to that because it's always the gut was so strong that I couldn't ignore it. And one of our other daughters, not the daughter with the uh, intuitive uh, counseling spiritual practice, but our other daughter, she gets gut feelings like me beforehand, and they always real, they, they're always realized, whatever it is. Whatever that gut feeling is, something happens within a period of time. And, and our son has the same thing. Now, I believe our other uh, daughter does as well, but her, she's not tapped into that. And she's not manifesting that. In fact, she doesn't have any interest in that. So in, sure. in her case, I think it's going to lie dormant. But we'll see. You know, she has children, and we'll see where that goes. If, you know, if it, if it comes out in the kids, in the next generation. Sure. Well, the, so that's something that you start feeling in the gut, then change happens. And, uh, you know, you're following your intuition around. And now you're seeing your intuition be validated from... As you know, from a like your regular kind of psychic to uh, you know the new astrological reading from the from the Thai monk. So as you know, your life is changing, and you know your I mean your whole family situation is changing and stuff like that. Um, did you get any more you know messages that uh, you were on the right path? I mean, it sounds like you've got a bunch already, but what was, was there a final message where that you're like, you know what? I can't deny this any longer. I've got to change. Um, it's interesting. 2019 was a banner year for me in my life. It, it's, it was a year like nothing. I've ex what I experienced in 2019 is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. And I've experienced some major things in my life. The, meeting Mickey, all of these gut feelings, you know, moving from uh, New York to California, all these very, very big things. But in 2019, I just had, and, it, and again, this came involuntarily. I just had this uh, very deep feeling that I had to walk through some major fears that I still had in my life. Um, and and do things that I've always wanted to do. And one of those things was, I'd like to become a keynote speaker. I'd like to, I've done, I've done, I've opened, done speeches and I've taught classes and I've sure. gone to conferences and I've delivered workshops, but I really wanted to deliver a keynote about something I felt very passionate about, which was collaboration and sharing and all of this stuff. Okay. I met uh, Steven Zimmer and Holly uh, Felipe just randomly by accident and um and they're the, on their they're the ones they're the ones that run the imaginarium convention in in kentucky that's right that's right I, that's right i went on their show i did not you know that whole uh engagement led to me being a keynote at 2019 imaginarium conference so that 
uh, fear was realized. I had a desire to uh, become uh, become a singer because I've always been a musician, but I've never had the, the, the guts, frankly, to sing. I would always get to the point in a song that I was playing where I had to sing and nothing would come out, even when I forced myself. And, and I've overcome that this year. So I've, I've had a lot of these things where, where I feel like I'm at spiritually and, and in my intuition is that anything that I set my mind to doing is going to happen. And it's going to happen faster than in, my, in the past in my life. Because, and again, I go back to being younger, having more responsibilities and less free time and all of that kind of stuff, especially raising kids, you know, that's totally the focus. And now that that isn't the focus anymore, the visibility for me on the, my universe, the energy and the, and the spirituality around me has, it's just exploded. It's been amazing. And so how do you think that has had an effect on the way you tell stories? Because so much of what happens in a paranormal or a spiritual experience is, um, is, is inside the experiencer. You know, so much of a paranormal experience is, well, you, you, you kind of had to be there um, to get it. Because, I mean, because it's, uh, it's hard to write about what, you know, what these kind of, how these experiences feel. Um, have you? Have you found in your own storytelling, as you say, you've uh, empowered yourself and, and you felt more spiritually in tune, you know, with the world, you know, have you found your storytelling been, has been affected by these spiritual experiences or in trying to describe them? I do believe so, because, you know, as a, I'm a nonfiction writer, so whatever I write is true. Um, I, I do have some work that's published that is fiction, you know, just made up stories, made up characters and all of that. But the majority of my uh, literary work, non-business, this is just what I'm doing now, is, is as a nonfiction writer. So the things that I experience find their way into my books, into my poems. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to release a poetry book in 2020. It's And, you know, people, not everybody appreciates poetry and people who do sometimes are, uh, they have their taste for poetry is very specific. So publishing a poetry book is a big risk because it's, uh, it, it, it requires a certain audience. But this poetry book is, is based on spirituality. It's based on connecting to another person on a deeper, below the surface level. The poems, the, the book is called Poems and Provocations, Loves, Pain, and Pleasures. So the poems are about meeting someone that you connect with on a deep level and you're separated by miles. Uh, and it could, it's, it's relevant whether you're in a friendship or a love affair. But this book really speaks to has really manifested a lot of the things that have come out in me as a result of recognizing my own intuition, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I find myself drawn to, I've always loved dusk and dark darkness, but even more so this year, I was talking to somebody who asked me the other day, do you think you're a werewolf? Because I guess the way I was describing 
Like, I want to just go out and sit on the front porch and watch the mountains because we have mountains right across from our house. Sure. And when when that sun starts to go down and that dark starts to come, I just want to be in it. Uh, You know, there's crows flying all over the place. And I paid very little attention to this up until, I would say, a couple of years ago. And so it's interesting because I think you see these things. You just can't feel these things when you're, when your life is busy or whatever it is that, that blocks the spiritual essence from hitting your brain and saying, whoa, this, you know, I really, I'm really drawn to this. I'm drawn to dusk. I'm drawn to dark. It's where I feel the safest, the calmest, the most serene is in this particular environment. And that's something new for me over the last several years, because that's something I did not recognize in myself as a child, but I do recognize it now. I recognize always wanting to be out at dark and, you know, I mean, you think, oh, it's lightning bugs and all of that stuff you see on the East Coast, but it really isn't. It's it's something deeper. It's It's a deeper need that gets filled by something around you, some kind of stimulus, and that's how um, innate that feels to me. And it is in my writing. It's in this new book that's coming out in 2020, uh, towards the end of the year that book will come out. And um, it is in my short storytelling. And, you know, just a, a couple more things here. Uh, you were, I think it's funny when somebody's like, well, you think you're a werewolf. Um, there, There is something, um, you know, they, they call it in film and in photography when you say dusk i mean people call that magic hour because of uh the natural lighting uh is beautiful and you have to you know it requires less work to make a subject look great at magic hour when you're shooting on traditional film maybe not so much with digital now but when you go back to traditional film um, you know, they used to do that and call that magic hour. And that's always the time between light and dark, the liminal period. You know, it's why we feel that, uh, you know, fall, the time between the death of winter and the life blooming of summer, the, um, that that's the time where the, the veil between the worlds is the thinnest. And so being attracted to like dusk and that period um, between the dark of night and the light of day those periods of liminality traditionally um, are the points where people have had more spiritual experiences. I mean, Vespers, I mean, in talking about Catholic and the reason like the prayers and the bells went off at dusk was that they were, um, you know, they were encouraging prayer at that certain, that certain right. time of day. And so being attracted to that almost seems to me, uh, instead of being weird, see, when it comes to the spiritual or the supernatural, seems to be more um, natural than anything else. Like that's the, t- that's the time of day where you're going to do your magic spell or that's the time of day where you're going to feel um, the most, you know, the most spiritual. Well, you know, that's really interesting that you say that because I had not thought about that or had any awareness about that. But I will say this, and you might have some thoughts on this. I've always been drawn to the season, to the to fall. It, that is my season. And I remember um, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for September to come because you live in New York. The, okay, the summers were brutal, but so what? You're a kid. It didn't matter. What, what attracted me to the fall 
was going out at night, putting on like a, like a sweater. And I used to, I mean, actually up until having this conversation with you, I thought it was the act of being a kid, having your first little job. I used to sell Christmas cards to the people on the block. And back in the day, you know, before all of this instant gratification and technology, you had to walk around the neighborhood and ring your neighbor's bells and show them this catalog of sample Christmas cards that they could have their names printed and they would fill out an order form. And that's how I made my money for the year. Um, And I used to, I couldn't wait for the fall, but, and what, but I hated ringing the bell. I really didn't like selling the Christmas cards. Right. But what I, what I loved being on my street out in the dark in that cool weather where you get that chill up your back and you put on, you have a cozy sweater, you know, the moon is illuminated. And I felt like, oh, if this was Nirvana, this would be my Nirvana. And well, that's, I mean, that, that time of year, that, that season um, is, you know, people uh, from the, you know, the Druids on or whatever, they always associated that with more of a, uh, like a spiritual experience. So maybe you could have been picking up on that. Um, you know, yeah. even, even, yeah. even as a young person, um, now I want to make sure we get to the, uh, you know, you talked about a couple of things earlier that, um, we already have a couple of visitations from your mother and then let's get to the, let's get to the later visitations from your mother. As far as she seems to have showed up at certain points in your life to help you with uh, hard decisions, or at least to comfort you in whatever direction you decided to go into. When was the next time you saw her again? Uh, the next time I saw her was was in our house in Sedona. I hadn't seen her for many, many years. And um, and our house is located in the village of Oak Creek. And because uh, Sedona has several areas, but in the village of, of Oak Creek is Bell Rock, Cathedral Rock, Castle Rock, uh, and uh, Courthouse Rock. And these rocks, especially Bell Rock, uh, I'll put it this way. We, we had some electrical problems in our house. We called an electrician. He came. He couldn't figure it out. Could not solve the problem. Didn't know what these switches did, why the lights went on randomly. Had no clue. And this was his answer. It's Sedona. This is what happens. Um, and the belief is, and I believe it, that this area has an influx of spirits. Uh, especially around Bell Rock, because a lot of people throw ashes of their loved ones on Bell Rock. In fact, my wife and I told our kids, if you're able to, that's where we want to go, on Bell Rock. So um, I was in our house, and I just turned my head, and there was my mom right there with this flowing white nightgown in the foyer of our house in Sedona, and she was smiling. And I've seen that. And I've seen it happen at least 10 times in the last two years. And my wife hasn't seen it, but I've seen it. So we have a friend who used to be a physics teacher. Uh, She taught quantum physics in high school. And she left her her career in education uh, to pursue another thing, fitness-related thing. Sure. But she's also an intuit. And we didn't know that because we met her as a result of her fitness work. And we became friends with her. And she came to our house. Uh, well, I'll back it up a bit. Yeah. She used to run a Zumba class. 
And in the middle of her Zumba class in Sedona, she would run through the class and swat, swat, she's swatting away things. And we're like, what are you doing? What is that? She's like, these damn spirits, they're everywhere. They're disrupting my class. So this woman actually can see spirits, if you believe that, which I do. Um, She told us once, if you go to Famous Pizza, that's the name of the pizza store, there's two of them. One is in West Sedona, one is in the village. If you go to the one in the village, there's fairies there, in there, I've seen them, floating around. So that's her take on it. She comes to our house in Sedona to hang out with us and have some coffee. And we sit down and we're chatting. She's there about five minutes and she gets up and she says, excuse me, I have to do this. And she lays on the floor and she said, I just can't take the chatter in this house. There are so many spirits in this house. It's so distracting. I have to lay on the floor. And she laid there for 20 minutes talking to us from a, from a prone position lying on the floor. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that are going around that, that, are, that, that, that are there that not everybody sees. In Sedona, if I, I've taken pictures on my uh, iPhone, and I can send you those pictures if you're interested. Sure. You don't see it, you, when you take the picture, there's nothing there on the screen. You don't see it. But after the picture is taken, there's orbs. They're little green round dots, and some of them look like satellite dishes. And I, I, um, and there's a certain one, and I believe that these orbs follow me. And uh, a, a psychic that I went to uh, confirmed that, and I didn't tell her about these orbs. She said, "You have spirit guides, and they come, they manifest in the in the shape of orbs, and they're around you all the time." And, uh, and she also told me my mother and my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, or she said, they're with you all the time. They're watching you. So that's probably why I see my mom. I don't see my grandma. I'll have to start manifesting that because she was the greatest influence in my entire life. But anyway, uh, so I have these photos. And so we have two homes. We go back and forth. And we're in Palm Springs now, and I take some pictures on the front porch, and there's the orbs. It's the same orbs that I see in in um, Sedona. Now, little green dots are subjective, right? You can maybe sure. get a little green dot, or a dot is a dot, but these satellite dish things, it looks like a satellite dish. It has like a bar. It has a red dot. It has another blue dot at the bottom. It's a fantastic visual thing, so that that's happened and it's happened here. And, um, and when I spoke to the spiritual person, they're like, those are your spirits. They're, they're with you. They're following you. Now, has anyone else experienced something in your house? And has your, uh, your wife experienced like as the people who spend the most time there, um, have, you know, any of your family members seen anything else in that house? Cause it seems like it, when you talk about an interesting place and everybody putting their ashes, uh, you know, on the rock and everything, um, that there's might be a lot of energy there of some sort, or you know, right. a lot of energy expended, mm-hmm. and you know, the the the, fit, the Zumba lady comes by and is like, oh, I got to take a break and lay on the ground because there's too many spirits yeah. in the house. You know, if I would be like, well, that's probably too much wine talking, but that's just me. But the right. thing is, but it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And she was- <laughs> 
we had just eaten Indian food for lunch. I mean, that's, there was no drugs or alcohol or right. anything. So it was, and, and we've seen her do this in other places. And I actually went to a class she taught on quantum physics and how it relates to spiritual energy, which was fab, fantastic. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, but anyway, no, uh, I, I don't know. I, my wife does not prescribe to this, so she doesn't see that there. But she, she is very interested in these photographs that keep showing these things that keep popping up because I'm not putting them there. I have no way to do that. Have you found any of the, uh, you know, when you say that people talk to you about spirit guides and stuff, have you found that any of the messages um, that they've given you uh, I mean, besides the one that came through that said, oh, you know, your mother and her, her hurt feet, um, anyone in particular that have kind of stuck out to you that you're like, oh, man, you called it? Or because I'm always interested because I've seen some psychics and I've talked to people and I've never had somebody say something to me that really got me, you know, that I was like, right. OK, um, you know, everything always felt like it could have been a horoscope in, you know, from the, in, like a syndicated horoscope, like anything could apply to anybody. So has, have you ever had, because now it sounds like you've seen a variety of people, you've had this kind of intuition thing where you've had a physical reaction um, to something before it has happened. And have you found any particular um, psychics or fortune tellers or anything like that beyond the ones you've told us that have had that effect where you're like, okay, um, you, you got me. Like, I, I have no idea how you knew that. Well, I had two kind of strange experiences with uh, another person that I was in a relationship with, a woman, and um, it was a serious relationship, and she was very spiritual. We, we both prescribed to that, so we had a lot of really crazy things happen between us. Like, I would, I'd be driving to work, and I'd be like, oh my God, you know, she's doing this right now, whatever it was, and I would, I would go to work open up my email, and there would be an email there saying, I just finished doing this, whatever it is. I'm like, she's painting or she's, you know, composing a new song because she was an artist and, and, a, and a musician and all that. It was something, it was a tangible thing. I would just have this vision in the front of my head of whatever, a song, and I would go to work and open, and open my email and she'd say, I just wrote a song on the way to work. And so we would have these simultaneous things. Uh, we we had tattoos on the same day, and neither one of us told the other person we were getting tattoos, and we would have this these simultaneous experiences happen all the time. We were on Venice Beach once, and we went to a psychic called the Goddess of the Moon, and we said, oh, "Okay, this is BS. It's Ven you know, it's Venice Beach. She's probably not legit, and she's just getting tourists." So we waited, and we were going to get our palms red, and we're standing next to each other. And at the time, my girlfriend says, oh, what's wrong with your hand? And I was like, what's wrong with my hand? She goes, you hardly have any lines on your hand. Look at my hand. And her hand was loaded with lines. I'm not talking about like your lifeline. I'm talking about all the little lines on your hand. Sure. I mean, like her whole hand looked wrinkled. And I'm like, I don't know. We go to this psychic. And, uh, and the first thing the woman says to me is, you're a terrible driver. And my girlfriend almost fell off the chair because, yes, I am. I'm a, I'm a good driver when I pay attention, but when I don't, I'm like, I always get lost. I can't even find my house. So <laughs> that, was, that was very interesting. And then she said to the, to, uh, to the, not to me, but to the woman, let me see your hand. 
and we had just been talking about it like a half hour earlier. And she goes, oh, you're a very old soul. Look at all those lines on your hand. So, of course, I was like, uh-huh, see, you were making fun of my hand, but really it was your hand that was the talk of the town, not me. So I've had very uh, simultaneous things. When we were together, uh, our relationship was uh, on again, off again. And we both went to psychics separately, not together. And, um, and this psychic, uh, the one that told me about my mom, also told me that uh, me and, the, and my ex, that we, <laughs> we had been fighting over the same woman in the Civil War. That's what she said. We were both men in a past life. But then she started to go into the stuff about being in a Victorian age, which was really kind of interesting because I always felt like I, I, I lived in that time. And I always felt like I somehow had like a green velvet, one of those long gowns with the corsets. And, you know, you know how they are when they walk, women are walking around the street in like the late 1800s, yeah. what that might look like. And she described that scene to me and said, you lived in the uh, late 1800s in the Victorian time and you were a prominent woman. That's what she told me. And she said, I see you. You're wearing a green velvet whatever. So I didn't tell her that. Right. I, you know, I don't know. Well, what I think is interesting, a couple of things are interesting here. Um, Number one, the kind of radar love you have with the other person where you're picking up uh, little things um, psychically you know, little stuff, things that they'd worked on. You're thinking about things at the same time. You're somehow communicating uh, through space without, you know, without a phone, you know, without email. Right. You know, you're communicating in, in your emotion, either emotionally or psychically some kind of way. Now, where does this woman fit in? So in your time, I'm just trying to figure the timeline here. So you're in California. Is this before you get married or is you taking a break? No, this this is after um, when Mickey and I figured out we were in love with each other. Um, and I left my marriage and Mickey did not leave her marriage when I left my marriage. She was on her own journey. So we were not together as a couple until after we really were pursuing divorces from our husbands, which was uh, a year, about a year and a half later. So there was a period of time after I divorced my husband that I was dating, and this was the person that I dated during that period of time and had a very serious relationship with. And what I think is interesting here, though, too, is that, um, like you said, so you said that your your husband was your first boyfriend, your first real relationship and everything. And so then this is your second relationship, right, decades later. In a way, it is, because my relationship with Mickey at the time, I would say, you know, I, I was in love with Mickey before, but it was tied up in all of the coming out as a lesbian and, you know, being married and all of that. So it, it, this other relationship was, I was single. And so, yes, that is true. That was the first uh that was the second relationship I had that was a, like a real relationship where you were single and had the freedom to pursue it. So that is true. Yeah, and I think that's interesting, too, because this is, ha- this is happening after you've been a mother, after you know, probably decades of being married. 
And what I think is interesting about that is that most of us, we, we go through it and we have a bunch of practice of failed relationships before we get to a marriage, right? You go through, you're like, okay, I tried this one, didn't work. Tried right. this one, this girl hates me. Tried this one, this girl really right. hates me. <laughs> uh, you know, you go through your entire life and, and you do that until you finally, until you finally figure it out or at least figure it out as, as best as you can and you find someone who can tolerate you all the time. And so it's just interesting here that um, when you're talking about this psychic connection, you're, you're finally following your intuition to the point where you're like, okay, this is who I am. You're redefining who you are, or at least who you thought you were, and you're redefining yeah. it um, into something that feels more natural and something that feels more like you. And as you're following your intuition that way, you're starting to see more psychic experiences happen. Now, whether or not this worked out with this particular woman or whatever, uh, that's just, you know, that's a, that's just one of the stops along the way kind of thing uh, when you get to your final destination. But what's interesting, I think, in this, this through line here is that the more you're following your intuition to where you need to be and your quote unquote destiny, the more psychic experiences you seem to be having. So as you're on your direction, that might not be the person in the end who you spend your life with, right. or the rest of your life with, but they're sh- you know it's showing you that you're going where you need to be going because you're having these experiences, you're having these synchronicities and these little psychic flare-ups on your way there. Yeah, definitely. And, and my relationship with Mickey is very interesting because we put things in each other's heads and it's more than, you know, your partner. I mean, we're going to be married 20 years uh, this September. So, you know, you know, your partner pretty well when you've been together for 20 years, but this is something different. This is like, I'm thinking about, you know, whatever I'm thinking about subject a and I'll say, honey, Subject A, and she'll say, oh, my God, I put that in your head because I thought about it 30 seconds ago. And this happens constantly where we are so in tune with each other on a spiritual level. And keep in mind, she, Mickey doesn't manifest her spirituality because she's not, that's not how she's, that's not her makeup. Sure. But yet she still tapped into it um, because... I didn't have that in my marriage uh, to my husband. I had it. I had it in another relationship, but I didn't have it in the that other big re- mar- relationship, my first marriage. But with Mickey, it happens all the time. You know, we'll say she'll say, "Oh, we have to buy the baby's shoes." He he grew out of his shoes, and I'm like, "Oh my God!" I was just going to tell you. You know, our daughter called and said the baby needs shoes. Do you guys want it? Because we always say, "When the baby needs shoes, let us know. We want to buy him shoes." Um, and, you know, so it's things like that that occur all day long. Well, you know, and I think that's a, um, you know, that's a good place where we, we can le- kind of leave the message of the story. Um, and uh, Sally Ann, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I think, you're, I think your story is fascinating. Um, I, you know, I wish you luck with the new, the poetry book and with everything in the Golden Crown Literary Society. People can find that at goldencrown.org. They can find your information at Sally Ann Monty. That's Monty with an I, uh, Sally Ann Monty. We're going to have all of that in our show notes and othersidepodcast.com slash 285. But I think the perfect place, as you said, you're in the right place and these little things happen and you followed your intuition in time to have a, you know, fulfilling 
relationship in your life. And you followed your intuition in, in time enough to be able to uh, find the, the, the self that you wanted to, the self that you needed to. And I think it's a great message for people. Your intuition, you feel it inside, um, whether it's a gut punch or a prickling at the back of the neck. Prickling, pricking at the back of the neck. Um, right. Or, you know, anything that lets you know that uh, that innate sense of the directions we should go to, the more you avoid that, um, the further you're going to get away from probably where you need to be. And I, I think your story is a real lesson in uh, listening to yourself and finding that intuition, how it helps you find where you need to be. Yeah, you know, and I would say one thing is that um, intuition and memory are two different things. And I think that people confuse an, int- an intuitive experience with a memory. A memory is you're sitting there and you remember your third birthday and blowing out the candles. That's a memory. But, you know, seeing your mom in front of you for 10 or 20 seconds just standing there in a white gown and, go, and then thinking about your mom, who isn't on the planet anymore, is not a memory. It's a vision. That was a visit. That was a spiritual visit by, by, by that person. It, it's, so I think learning the difference between what a memory is and what a vision is, you become so more aware of what's going on around you, and it's amazing. Fantastic. Thanks, Sally Ann, for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate that. One more time, in case people are too lazy to go to the show notes and they're just on their like phone right now, where's the best place that they can find you so they can check out your books and the different authors and stories that you're helping to bring about to the world? Well, there's two places. One is on my website. It's sallyann, S-A-L-L-Y-A-N-N-E, Monty, M-O-N-T-I, dot com. And, uh, and the other place is at thegoldencrown.org, and we have an annual conference. Uh, we have a host of paranormal authors. We have a, a, a very big paranormal uh, sci-fi following, so check out the Golden Crown Literary Society, and if you have any questions, just reach out to me there, and um, pay attention, because there's stuff going on around us. That's all. That's perfect. <laughs> That's how I would close it. Pay attention. The feeling of the gut punches that changed Sally Ann's life are a testament to the power of intuition and how your body seems to know the right place you should be even when your mind is far behind. Now, it took Sally Ann decades to find out where she was supposed to be, and hopefully you can find your place a lot faster than that. But that's the inspiration behind this week's song. Here's Sunspot with The Closer You Get. Sure. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Hello, this is Wendy. And first of all, I'd like to thank Mike and Sally Ann for the great discussion today. I enjoyed meeting Sally Ann last year at the Imaginarium convention, where not only did I get to hear her do a reading from her book, but I also remember her being an enthusiastic member of the audience when Mike and I performed some songs and discussed a bit about the storytelling process of songwriting with Scott Marcus. These are the kinds of things that we love to do here at See You on the Other Side and in Sunspot. And if you'd like to be part of the supportive community behind us, please visit othersidepodcast.com slash donate. That is our Patreon community, which is a group of people who contribute a little bit of money each month. And that makes it possible for us to produce and publish this show and write and record new songs and videos. It's a lot more than just that, though. We also discuss the topics that we cover here on the show and topics maybe we haven't covered yet, but that people would like to hear about more or have us dig into deeper. We also have a live online hangout, which is just a video chat every month. And that's where we can catch up on all the paranormal things, the movies and TV shows we're watching, books we're reading, and really just life in general or anything anybody wants to chat about. And it's very easy to join the community. So just visit othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and that will take you right to our Patreon site. And you can contribute as much or as little as you want. Now, a special shout out goes to one specific Patreon member, and that's Dr. Ned. He contributes at a level that gets him his own custom acknowledgement on every single episode. And thank you, Ned, because we really do truly appreciate you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have an absolutely awesome week.